Jacob. Well, hello, Jacob. I can't hear a single thing that you will say. Hello, folks. Welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics Podcast. I'm Matthew S. Fox. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me, as always, is Jacob Leachich, the other co-host. Jacob, how are we doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, uh, people may notice I sound a little weird. Uh, that's because I have a set of expanders in because I didn't do orthodontia when I was a kid. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. And apologies if this is not pleasing to everybody, but uh, we're going to try rolling with it because it's better for me to leave it in. Sounds good. Now, you sound you sound pretty clear to me, and uh, I, I appreciate the uh, willing to both take good care of yourself and to jump into the topic um, and, and continue recording with us today. So thank you for that. Um, and actually, this is a topic that, Jacob, you and I have been going back and forth on for a long time. I think almost since we first started, since I first got you on as a co-host, we've talked about wanting to, to do this topic. Um, and it's one that I know we've referenced often in other episodes that would talk about it eventually. Most recently in the Harry Potter episode we did a few weeks ago. Um, because what we're talking about today is problematic favorites. Um, this is kind of more of a meta topic of instead of the ethics of a particular thing that we are fans of, this is one of those times where we step back a bit and look at what are the, what are the ethics of being a fan. In particular, what are the ethics about, what are the moral issues, the ethical issues, and just what are our responsibilities as a fan when there are things about the things that we love that are problematic or toxic or otherwise an issue. And we're going to be talking about that from a whole range of things, things where the content itself has issues that are problematic, where the content itself might be fine, but the creators of it or one of the major actors or producers or writers of it are, are toxic. Um, and also about those things that you know we might have loved 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and then more recently we go back and watch and realize, wait a minute, this is a lot more problematic than I thought. Um, so we're going to be diving into that uh, that issue from all sorts of directions. Um, and I wanted to kind of establish that now and start by asking, Jacob, why why was this an issue that was important to you? Because I know you've been one of the, uh, both of us have been, but you especially have sort of kept up the drumbeat that this was something we really needed to talk about at some point. Well, so for me, it the topics I think that are the most interesting that we talk about are the ones where we don't have a – the stance is not clear and it's more of an exploration of the topic with a lot of nuance and a lot of – you know, a lot of a lot of questions, more questions than answers, uh, because then in, in those cases you can have sort of a more uh, productive philosophical discussion and really dive into what is right or is there a right. Uh, and for this specifically, I feel like it's important to to talk about it and talk about it often, like we did on the uh, on the Harry Potter episode, right? To make sure that we're acknowledging. Uh, when these problems exist in in the various aspects of our media, and so uh, from from where I'm sitting, it's important to have this conversation because it's one that I continue to have with people, and it's one where I find myself changing day by day how I think I want to approach it. Um, there's you know because there's the there's the cancel culture approach, the cancel culture being the I guess do you want to call it a buzzword? I don't. All right, Matthew has disconnected. This is going to be very fun to edit. Thankfully, this is Matthew's job. 
uh, I heard a very delightful song that he sang me. In essence, what I was saying was it was uh, important that we, um, yeah, I was saying it was important that we talk about it to uh, both address the fact that it is um, that is persistent in our media and, and we keep getting more information about things, but also to acknowledge that, you know, I don't have a firm stance on it. And so, it, but, but um, what I, what I want to do about it changes. And I started, I was sort of transitioning into talking about uh, quote, cancel culture, unquote, which I'm not even sure if that's a, a buzzword or if it is a, um, you know, something that, is right. being used to demonize the this behavior but like the idea is that when somebody does something wrong um or, or we feel is wrong we dissociate from that uh entirely and and condemn it and that's the stance and i mean i'm so i i want to talk about these things about these behaviors these different types of reactions because i think it's important that we that we acknowledge what parts of our behavior our reaction uh makes sense and are promoting the culture we want to to engender and what ones actually make the situation worse yeah right through by uh basically by creating a culture where um we are very quick to condemn and we are not interested in explaining to people why we have a problem with their position right and i, I definitely hear you on that i i think that the, the discussion of can't of call out and cancel culture is something we're going to get to a bit down the road in this episode um because i i think i'm not quite exactly where you are i think that that some of what gets described as cancel culture feels like kind of a straw man to me right um, yeah. but I, I do think that one of the main points that i hear you're saying that i think is is I think a very important part of how we frame this episode is, like, what you start saying at the beginning of that, you know, there's a lot of times where we might say, like, hey, look, guys, here's what Cap does, here's why we think you should be like Cap, here's why we think you should be like Batman or Superman or whatever it is. And even there, you know, neither you nor I is making moral proclamations as the great man up on the mountain, we're just offering some thoughts and, and hopefully doing mostly to stimulate your thoughts as listeners, not just to have you guys fall in line with what we think. I think that's always true, but I think that's particularly true for this episode because – and I'm not going to get too much into economics here or anything like that, but I'm, I'm a big believer that there's no such – there's basically no way to be a morally pure consumer in this culture. Like anything we consume is in some way is going to be tied back to something that, it, that probably violates our values in some way or another. Um, <clears throat> we can make an argument that <clears throat> everything owned by Disney – all of Marvel and all of that, you know, no one should be watching it in any way because of the problems of the Disney Corporation and things like that. And and there's probably some truth to that. And I think that if you're watching this, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are okay making some of those compromises. I think to some extent, all of us are making those kind of compromises all the time. To me, the reason why this issue is so important to talk about is because I do think it's important to be aware of the compromises we're making, especially around things like, you know, reading a book by an author who has some really problematic ideas or and, – and, and where's the line between doing that versus giving money to that author versus promoting the works of that author <clears throat> or, or TV show or movie or whatever it is. And I hope that more than anything what people get out of this 
episode isn't necessarily that um you know we tell you the right way to deal with problematic favorites because I think I don't think I know exactly what the right way is and I think you don't either and we're not going to agree necessarily and I probably don't agree with myself all the time um but to me more than anything what I hope this episode is going to do is give you and I a chance to talk about how do we approach these questions because I think that's for me the hardest part is just figuring out how do I how do I have a co- coherent framework that says this is what makes sense to me in terms of what material I will engage in, what material I will not engage in, what things I will sort of semi-engage in, like maybe consume but not give money to. Because I think more than anything, I, I think it's important to have some kind of an overall idea of how you do it instead of just – because I think it's way too easy to – and this kind of ties into some of what you were saying before, you know, get worked up about the things that, that it's easy to get worked up about while still being part of other uh, fandoms or things that are just as problematic by some lights. So, yeah, obviously there's a lot to kind of get into and talk about, but I thought that was an important way to kind of frame the question. Yeah. So with that, let's let's jump into some of the um, the, the, the kind of specific questions that we want, want to talk about. And, and let's start with I th- what I think may be the easiest thing to do, which is... What do we do when the work itself is problematic? Um, what's what's your approach when you're sort of you know you're, you're you're excited about a movie, but then you start to hear something about the um, the issues that are going to be discussed in the movie in really problematic ways, or you know you're halfway through a book or a TV show and you realize they're making points that you really you not just that you disagree with, but you feel are really supporting ideologies that you're really not okay with. How 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 do you tend to approach that? Well, uh, I usually disengage from the media in question. And then if I'm particularly incensed, um, I go and communicate with my people about this thing that is bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, that, that is not a, I, I guess, um, that makes it sound like I'm doing something particularly unique. I'm not. This is what a lot of people do, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, I think, I think that's good, right? Uh, th- this sort of approach of I've identified this problem. Um, I'm going to make sure I'm going to raise awareness. Right. Um, and like, I'm usually, I stop engaging with it cause I'm like, Nope, I'm done with this. I don't like this. Uh, this happened with a, uh, a show that I was watching at one point, um, called Grimm, mm. which was a, a supernatural show. It was, a about a, a cop who's a jerk, um, who's also a monster slayer, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there was a particularly, um, Anti-feminist is the best way I could describe it. It was it. There was a plot arc surrounding one of the characters that was so misogynist that I just I couldn't I couldn't deal with it anymore. I just can't support the show, can't watch the show. Always bring it up whenever people start talking about Grimm, saying, "Nope, yeah. this show is terrible, and here's why." Yeah, I I think that's a good example, and I think many of us have have ones like that. I know that there have been um, certainly shows that I have stopped watching. Um, just one example. I I had for years been incredibly curious about Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and <laughs> I I get that that was a movie made some time ago, and that that's also an issue of like <clears throat> putting an issue in in its cultural context versus how we view it today is another part of this question. But I I came to watch it many years after it had become popular. I didn't have any connection with the comic, um, so I and this was maybe two or three years ago, and I got maybe fifteen minutes into it, and just the whole concept of girl as victory and as prize to be won and 
Um, I don't remember too many details, but I remember there was a scene where, where a, um, a gay character was being described as being quite predatory, but in a but it's to cis boys, so it's okay. Um, I, and again, I may not be remembering the details too too clearly, but there was a right about that that me and my friends were all just like, nope, we're we're gonna nope out and and not be able to look at this. Um, and I I think you're right that on that that that's where for me that's the tip of the iceberg. That's where I think it gets pretty easy. Um, where do you think it goes though with issues where you see something problematic, but but also I'm trying to think how to frame this, how to best frame this. Um, because there certainly are works I know that you and I have found problematic, but that we still continue to watch. And I'll, I'll give one example. Um, The Punisher. Um, mm-hmm. As people who listen to our review of season two of The Punisher, I had a lot of problems with that show. And not just in like some of the acting and dialogue choices, though some of those I, I – actually, the acting I thought was phenomenal. I thought some of the plot choices. But there were specific points that it was making about vigilantism and, and especially um, – in the first season, about gun control, that I just vehemently disagreed with, and to the point where I was I was incensed by it. But but I also want to keep kept watching, um, and and that 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 in particular is one that I've really wrestled with a lot. And so I, I'd be curious for you where where do you come down when it is more of a, a sort of a fuzzy line between, so, between when it's not just a clear I can turn this off. So I mean, there is a conceit within. All, almost all superhero fiction about the appropriate use of violence where right. the the level of violence that is appropriate automatically escalates when you start engaging with superhero media from where it really should be in real life right the the problem with the punisher is that it is specifically <clears throat> it's gun violence and it's it's the sort of you are justified in taking lives if they are bad people or have done bad things. That that sort of line. Um, I can I guess for those it seems like it's advocating for a position that I don't agree with, right? Mm-hmm. But at least season one, I got the feeling like the show wasn't necessarily presenting it as you know this is correct and righteous the entire time, and so it was easier to stomach as a you know, you and I have talked a lot about how we like some stories that are, you know, you know, may- maybe a little bit more gray, or maybe the right. nobody here is a complete hundred percent morally right hero, right? Where where it is a little more nuanced and, and gritty, um, and so especially for Punisher season one. Other than that one gun control scene, I didn't feel like the uh, story was trying to sell me on the Punisher as always doing the right thing. Right. Right. Obviously, I mean, we did a whole podcast about how much we were upset by Punisher season two. Uh, and that's, that's similar kind of thing, but I didn't stop engaging with it. Now, part of it was, I knew we wanted to talk about it. Right. And part of it was that they had paid enough forward in the first season. They had done such a good job with the first season that I was willing, I wanted to give them time to see if they were going to, pay this off in some way. Does that make sense? I, I think it does. And I think it, um, <clears throat> first of all, the first part of what you raise is, is in and of itself, I think a very interesting question that uh, is also on our agenda to get to in terms of how does being a critic or being a, <clears throat> a commentator on these things, how does that change our ideas of what we will watch and what we don't? Um, mm-hmm. 
and I, because I know our guest Jessica Plummer uh, for the Punisher, I know she also I think talked about how she might not have continued watching um, if she had not been um, scheduled to be on our podcast about it. Uh, I may be misremembering her, so there I'm not, I'm not trying to quote her, but I know that's certainly a, a comment I've heard from other critics, and I think you and I have talked about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that you're right that it also it for me there's an importance to a what is the level of problematic that we're talking about here and i i don't ever want this to be a oppression olympics where i say you know racism is a five but but sexism is a four or anything like that like i don't think you can do that i think any issue it can be so problematic as to make something simply unwatchable um in the case of the punisher though i felt like one of the questions that it was raising i really disagreed with how it was raising it and the and the and the spin it was putting on it but it was doing that in the context of raising so many other questions in ways that I really appreciated that it made it easier for me to engage with. Um, I think especially also because, as, as you kind of said, Punisher is something that so clearly invites you to engage with the idea of maybe even its central premise is wrong. Um, and, and I feel like we're, we're just, not to keep harping on it, but just to give that example I gave before, where something like Scott Pilgrim versus the world – um, I, I know I've heard from some that it, it is meant to be satirizing that idea of girl as conquest, but but for, to my mind at least, it was just doing so much to promote that particular idea and to make that a fun idea to pursue. That felt very different than the Punisher does to me, um, be, because of just that that difference in context. D- does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And as somebody who has uh, watched the entirety of that movie, yeah, it is satire, but. There are way. I think they could have done a better job with it. I guess is what I'm going to say. Um, right. The arc of the main character is the only good thing that ends up coming out of that story, and even then, there's enough problems with how that's played out that I completely support your decision to just nope out of the whole thing. Right. Uh, whereas with the Punisher, for I guess for me, there's so much, and, and part of this maybe is our problem as. Uh, as Americans, as consumers of modern media, there's so much violence in all of our media these days that mm-hmm. these days it's been true for a very long time. So uh, I'm going to be critical of myself. These days is not really a thing. It's just <laughs> violence has been a part of our media for my entire life. Right. right. The, the, the Punisher um, compared to the gladiatorial combat is still a step forward. Right, right, right. Um, but it's not so much more excessive and it's not so much more promoting of that than other things that I've consumed that it Mm. is a bridge too far if that makes sense like I watched the Rambo movies for crying out loud Um, and those are unapologetically murder fests yeah, and I think that's a good point. I think especially because, and this is, a, and maybe actually this is something we should get into right now, kind of move it up the agenda somewhat, because it's going to frame so much what we talk about. I think when we talk about how we engage with problematic media, it feels to me like there's a number of different levels of how we can get engaged. Because, like, to take these examples, um, you know, I'm not trying to start a boycott Scott Pilgrim campaign by any means. Um, I'm, I didn't watch it and I would probably, if someone asked me if they should watch it, I might say, yeah, I'm not sure that's where you want to, something you want to watch, but I'm probably not going to go to start like, you know, a boycott of some kind. Um, and I think that's kind of at the, to me, it feels like there are all sorts of different reactions we can have to the different, you know, to media like this, everything from, you know, strongly encouraging others not to engage with it to, you know, and, and signing petitions to, to, you know, tell people to get this actor off that project or something. 
a step down from that can be saying, look, it's going to get made. That's fine. I'm just not going to give my money to it. I'm not going to engage with it in any way. Um, to me, a step down from that can be um, so, and it's a position that I know I've sometimes taken of, of I don't want to pay any money for that. If someone else has it on DVD, I'll, I'll watch it because I'm curious about it, but I don't want any of my money to go to it. Um, to, to saying, you know, and, or step down to what you're talking about of just, I'm just going to decline to watch it myself and not make a big deal of it one way or the other. Um, are, and obviously I think there's a ton of gray area in between those, but that's kind of what I would sketch out is some of like some of the different ways that we can, you know, re- respond to problematic media that we don't want to just sit and consume. Do, do, do you see those as kind of similar or, or are there, are there way, things you would add to that? Well, I think that the sort of the scale you're establishing uh, makes a lot of sense. And the like, right, we have degrees of reaction, right? And right. it really it, it has more to do, I think, with um, I think the sort of a, a point that's related to, to what you're saying is that like, I think it matters how much it impacted you, what you ended up choosing to do about it, yeah. right? And part of it is actually to your viewpoint how the, the degree to which it is a problem, right? Uh, there's a difference between um, a a movie that doesn't give enough lines to uh, to female characters, right, versus right. a movie that. Or, or a television show, in the case of Grimm, that goes, well, let's have a plot arc where we're going to make one of our principal women characters get more powerful and become evil because she's gotten power. Right. And, and I think that that's a great example, especially in terms of what we were saying at the very beginning about how for different people, they're going to probably find different places on this scale. You know, I know there are some people um, of all genders who I know who simply will not watch something if it does not pass the Bechtel test. Um, hmm. I know that that's, <clears throat> I try to be very aware of the media that I consume that does or does not pass that test, um, and, and be critical of the ones that do not and, uh, and to keep that in mind. That's not necessarily a bar that I use. Um, you know, whereas for me, there might be other things of like, I am probably going to be a lot more sensitive to and a lot, uh, less interested in promoting things that are actively ableist in ways that other people might be more bothered by. But I guess for me, do you, in terms of that scale, do you, do you have any kind of, idea of where you put different things on that scale or does it tend to come down for you to just kind of gut feeling about different pieces of media well i guess um the things that really the things that are usually at the top of my my tree right the top of of tree is wrong at the high end of the scale the ones i'm going to very strongly react to are ones that uh, where the media appears to be clearly advocating for a um, an ideology that I fundamentally disagree with, right? right? Um, and, and ideology in this case is, is a term I'm using that's very broad. It could be anything from devaluing people who are different from ourselves to, um, you know, the, the use of uh, torture as a you know effective and and reasonable like if you're sitting there and not only having your characters use torture but having none of your characters having a problem with the use of torture and then talking later about how good the torture was right that's going to be a problem for me right um and sort of like i guess at the other end are just just things that are 
where it doesn't I, I, the big thing i guess the one that really bothers me is when it seems to me like the the writers the creative behind the story are trying to get me to buy into something that i don't think should be the message mm. does that make sense where, uh, can you give an example so hmm, and you say that uh <laughs> so i'm trying to think of something like reasonably recent right that i could that i can pull from um <clears throat> i mean we we just talked about punisher so i'm trying to think of something that isn't punisher right um, i mean i i i'll give you an example of, of well and maybe maybe this is um the counter example because this might be a, a situation where it is the author doing something more by thoughtlessness and carelessness than out of outright malice but jk rowling um the creator of the harry potter world um and who has now been as part of the the release of the new movies which have been dealing with Harry the the wizarding world in the Americas um she put out quite a lot of material about what that wizarding world would look like in the Americas much of which was quite offensive to native american folk um or to anyone who would care about them being prop you know which i think should be everyone about them being properly represented in media it was a lot of um you know, kind of some ra- fairly racist tropes and a lot of sort of cultural appropriation. Um, to you, so, but I, I don't think she's set out with a thought of, you know, I want to kind of really stick it to these Native Americans and and show that our magic is better. I think this was an example of utter incomplete thoughtlessness. Isn't, isn't a serious enough word because I think that thought process has to be a part of the media creation, but just not realizing the damage that her work was going to do. Um, to you, is that the kind of thing you mean that is separate than what you're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that that would be an example of I still take an issue with it, but I don't think the creator is trying to tell me that you know, I mean, you're trying to tell me anything negative about uh, Native Americans uh, as right. a people or as a culture, right? Um, Ready Player One is actually a good example of the counter. The um, book. Yeah, the book. Uh, where there are a lot of things that Wade does that I think and says and thinks that feels to me we're supposed to be all like, yeah, great, good, this is this is justice, this is right, that is just toxic and terrible. Yeah. I, I can give another example that's also from media and of a kind of a similar genre, uh, which is the later works of Orson Scott Card. Um, you know, the I, I think Ender... Ender's Game and how much to or not to engage with that book is something that gets discussed a lot because of Orson Scott Card having some truly terrible views and and a lot of his you know actively promoting with his money and with his voice and his name uh, some very homophobic and, and sexist and racist perspectives, um, but but specifically in some of and, and and so to me it's one thing to talk about that in terms of um, Ender's Game where those ideas don't necessarily come out. But in some of his later books, especially in the the Bean series, uh, which starts out as a fantastic set of books, which makes this all all the more disappointing, more and more, Card is having his characters become simply voice pieces for his politics. Um, there was one incident I remember in, I think, the third Bean book, and this is pretty much when I had to stop reading them, um, where... Um, they have met a character who is gay, and this gay character has been helping them along. But at one point, they meet the character at a later point in the character's life, and the character now has a child and is married. And the gay character explains to them, well, yes, I'm gay, and I wasn't really you know, attracted to this woman in that way, 
but I just I recognized my own biological imperative that I had to reproduce. It was my you know sort of God given duty on this earth, and so I'm I'm glad that I did. And the entire scene is presented without commentary in any way, um, without anyone sort of saying like, "Wow, that how backwards or awful or wrong is that perspective." Um, to me, I think that's another good example of where the author is not just incidentally doing horrible things, but it's pretty consciously putting them into the work in ways that there it becomes, I think, very easy for me to say, I'm not going to engage with this. I'm not going to encourage others to engage with this. I don't want anything to do with it. And I guess the um, the reason why I think I'm having such a hard time coming up with examples is that I very rarely, as we discussed earlier, I very rarely continue to engage with ones that, are, that have that problem. I right. usually just stop because it's not worth my time to engage with something that is going to repulse me that much. Um, I never finished Atlas Shrugged. I own it because it was a <laughs> gift. It was a gift. I spent zero dollars on this book. Yeah. But I did not get very far in Atlas Shrugged before I noped out. I couldn't. I just fundamentally I, I, I disagree with the assertions. I, I did finish reading it because I believe that, you know, if someone hands you the uh, playbook for the opposing team, you should read it just to know how to beat them. Um, but that's to be a very different situation. Um, I mean, just um, saying I'm they're wrong isn't to... good enough? Say again? Just saying they're wrong isn't good enough? <laughs> I wish. It's very I obvious wish. to me. Um, and and just the one thing that I want to say about that is I think for me, part of where that scale becomes important is I, I, there's to me there's one level of just I don't want to bring this toxicity into my own life. And that's partially mm-hmm. just I don't enjoy it, but also because – I know that I'm not a perfect consumer of media and I – to me, one of the biggest problems with this toxic nonsense is how often it influences you in ways you're not even thinking about. And so you know, I, I know that I, you know, toxic masculinity is something I'm going to wrestle with all of my life and no, no matter how woke I am, I'm still going to be fighting against those messages. So I don't particularly want to watch something that's going to reinforce those messages and make that harder for my subconscious to, to deal with. Um, but I think to me there's also something a lot above and beyond just what you're doing to yourself, which is our power as consumers. Um, and I mean that in specifically economic terms. Like all of these media are put out to make money, um, You know, whether it's our movie tickets or our uh, Nielsen ratings or our Netflix um, dollars or just buying books and media. And I, I think that's why for me – how much I economically engage with something is, is where I think I draw the biggest line of what are the properties where, for me, I can just say, I, I don't want any of my money to go to this project. Um, and, and I find that often because of that, like I said, I am, you know, if I, if I find a, something in a used bookstore, I might pick it up because I know at that point no money is going back to the author. Um, and, and even that, I'm sure, is probably somewhat of a compromise. But I'm wondering if you kind of have that same idea of, that for you, there's some media that you'll be willing to consume or at least you know, be around when others are consuming if you haven't actively paid money for it or, or supported it in that kind of a way. I mean, that's currently my stance with the WWE. Uh, mm. So th- there is that because I'm – I they've done some, but they haven't done enough. We, we, uh, we recorded another episode. It might not come out before this with some friends about, uh, about wrestling specifically. But this is a case where – I don't feel like I'm in a position right now where I should support that company fiscally until right. more things happen in, to move it in a positive direction. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I generally speaking, 
I usually just don't consume the media if I have a problem with the media. Um, unless it's very entertaining, and even then, I won't... I do think that, like, I'm doing something positive by withholding my fiscal support. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I am, um... I am a child of the 80s. 80s nostalgia is 100% my jam. And a lot of people picked up the book of Ready Player One and just thought it was one of the worst written books that they could ever find, not to mention all the horrible racism and sexism and trans, trans, transphobia. And I'm 100% with them on all that. I found the book enjoyable because of all of the 80s references until the stalker romantic plot and the racism and sexism and transphobia really became front and center. Um, I am never again going to recommend someone buy that book. Um, I would, you know, I, and even as uh, people who listened to our episode about this some time ago, we did an episode on the movie where you and I had a big debate beforehand about should we even go see this movie? Because even if the movie is a lot better, are we still giving money to um, the author of that book in some way or supporting people who, you know, would want to buy that book? And and I think that was a, a real one we had to wrestle with for a while. I'm still not sure about how I felt about that. Though, as it turned out, the movie is much better than the book. Um, and, and dealt with a lot of those issues. But I still have the book on my bookshelf. And there are times when I just have a rush of 80s nostalgia, and I'll probably pick up that book and just flip to a couple of my favorite scenes uh, in, in the novel. Um, you know, and that's, that's, I think, another one of those levels where, for me, I don't want to engage with it in, 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 in a full way. I don't want to pay money for it in any way. I'm not sure I'm willing to, ready to throw that book out. Um, whereas I know some people would very much want to. And I don't know if that's if that's just me not being willing to take the steps I should, or if that's a kind of compromise that makes sense. Um, but I think that's where I wind up with a lot of these things. Is I'm not I'm there. There's some that I'm able to just say I want nothing more to do with this, and others where I say, you know, I I'm not going consu- I'm not going to pay money for this. I'm not going to encourage others to do it. I'm I'm still going to consume it though in 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 my own way if I if I have have access to it. So, for me. And, and this actually transitions very nicely into sort of the the next phase of this discussion, right? Where we're not talking yep. about the work, but the person who made it. Um, but for me, there is this sort of distinction when you you invested in some way in a work, right? And like for for a lot of these things, you don't know until after you've acquired it whether or not it was something that you were actually interested in fiscally supporting, but it's too late they got your money. Right? right, we go to the theater. We could have been supporting a absolute travesty of a movie in Ready Player One, but we paid money to see that movie in the theater. Yeah. As it turns out, I'm happy we did. It corrected a lot of the sins of the book. Um, right. The meeting of his best friend was so much better in the movie. Right, yeah. where it was just like, oh, I immediately accept you, and I'm happy you're here. Why couldn't it have been that anyway? Um, but there, there are things like when, when you own the material, you own the property, and particularly this comes up when there's a problem with the creator, one of the people involved with it, whether it be uh, an actor in, in the media or one of the directors, the writers, the producers, right? When it turns out there's a problem with them, I, I personally don't think it's reasonable for you to to have to like to, to think you have to take the stance of well I must now destroy this thing uh, that that I own that is mine because that doesn't do anything it doesn't hurt anybody right, right? it doesn't 
have the impact. I mean, maybe if you post it to social media and you make a statement with it, but then it's the statement that matters. Does that make sense? It does, and I think I think I think I think this also highlights one of the main questions we were talking about before: of what are the things you are doing as part of your personal discipline of what do you think is bringing you know is toxicity that you do or don't want to have in your life? To me, that's very different than the conversation about what do you want your economic dollars and your and your and your your support of it. Because um, I'll admit, and this is kind of pushing back on the two of us directly in one way. I hear what you're saying about um, that we made, you know, made the good decision about going to that movie because the movie turned out to be much better. And and I, you know, I, I was a willing participant then. I'm, I'm glad we went to that movie. But I also have to remember, I think that whether the movie had been good or bad, the money still goes to the author of the book. Like that yeah. that book author still gets paid to some extent. He, he and, gets, Ernest Klein gets some of that money. Yes. Right. And I have to wonder how many people. Um, you know, saw the movie and then thought, oh, this is a great movie. I want to go buy the book because of it. Um, and again, I made the decision. I still think that was the right decision to make, but I just, I, I'm just kind of further problematizing that decision because I think it, it becomes so complicated. Well, um, and, but and also remember, because I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit against that, there's many more people involved with that movie that right. get paid as a result or that, that benefit from going to see it. And not all of them are problems. Right. And again, they, there was a lot I feel that was done there that was good over what was presented in the book to the point where I feel like it's one of the rare, rare times where I could say the movie's better. Right. And so in that case, I want to support the version of the art that I think is 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 better or is the right way to present this this story. And so yeah, I... it, for me, it just, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, right? No. Uh, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just <laughs> saying that uh, I, I, I think there's a reasonable argument that while some fiscal support ended up going Ernest Klein's way, and yeah, I'm not super happy about that because I don't like the original work he created very much, it's still the case that we got something out of it that that I think did a reasonable amount of good. It was mostly a Kennedy movie, but it had some legitimate moments that were that were good. Yeah. No, and I think you're right. And I think there's – because there is something to be said for – it's not just a question of like my own economic purity. It's a question of, you know, boycotts matter. These things mm-hmm. matter. Um, and when and, – and on the flip side, you know, supporting things matter. Um, the fact that, you know, the wonder – after decades and decades of Hollywood believing that, you know, women couldn't be action heroes, the fact that the Wonder Woman movie did so well helped to encourage and helped to make things like the Captain Marvel movie – you know, all and the the Scarlet Witch movie, um, which has its own issues around Scarlett Johansson, but you know, it, it, Hollywood pays attention to those kind of things, and so I think I think you're right that there there's, and and this is the problem is, you know, it's very difficult to write a letter to the producers at at a big movie studio to say, I'm giving you my twelve dollars for this movie, but I'm giving it to because of these three reasons and not because of these two other reasons, um, and and so at the end of the day, yeah. It, it, it's what it goes back to at the beginning. There is no pure decision in any of this. It's all going to be messy and murky. Um, and, and But also, I want to – you started to transition towards this question of the problematic author, which I think is a very good segue, especially because it, um, it, I think, is a great counterpoint to what I just said about um, um, you know, occasionally rereading parts of Ready Player One. Because I'll give an example. I was never a huge Cosby Show fan. Um, 
and certainly now, uh, you know, have no interest in it whatsoever after all of the things we've learned about Bill Cosby and, and the horrible sexual abuse that he did to so many people. Um, and I can, I've talked to people who will, you know, when I, when I talk to them about this issue, Cosby is a name that comes up quite frequently because what I'll hear from them is Cosby is the example of the person that they just can't watch anymore because Cosby, you know, uh, and, and it's a show from the t- 1980s and so a lot of our uh, listeners may not have even ever seen it, but it was very much portrayed as the wholesome uh, black middle class story in America. And like that is wonderful, you know, that, that um, Bill Cosby could get to be, you know, the everyman, super wholesome dad figure that so many white characters had gotten to be already. Uh, yeah. and, and that's a great thing and a wonderful thing. Except that as we learn so many things about Bill Cosby himself as a person that cut so directly against that image that was being portrayed as Cliff Huxtable on television, I've heard from a number of people who have said that they just can't watch that anymore because it just it, it, there's no way to, to square those to, to square that circle of those two things. Um, you can and, add I, me and I think to that, that makes list. sense. And I, say, go ahead. You can add me to that list. I yeah. loved. I watched the Cosby Show when I was a kid. I loved that show. I like. Uh, it was it was something that I watched with my parents and my brother, and it was something I really enjoyed. I always loved the characters. I thought it was a great story. And when this came out, when when it came to light what Bill Cosby the person had been doing, there was a sense of of you know extreme betrayal. And now I I can't touch the Cosby Show. Yeah, and it stinks because I think like the shows was still was still good, but yeah. It, it creates this issue where, like, it can be, you can, ru- well, ruin is the wrong way to put it, but you can tarnish a piece of media um, by virtue of being connected to it and being a problem yourself. Yeah. No, and I think that's very true. And I think certainly that's for me, like, I still think Ender's Game is a good book, but those later Bean books, there's a lot of good writing in those books, but I, I could never bring myself to pick one up again. Because just the the problems that I know about the author and how that's re- portrayed in the books, it is so broken to me that I just want nothing more to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but so yeah, let's, that that's the thing. Kind of that I think is the most extreme example. But what are, what do you think are some other sort of questions that come up or thoughts you have about what do we do when the work itself may actually not show the problems, but we come to learn that the artist is, or one of the artists involved, is deeply problematic or toxic or harmful or abusive or, or what have you. So, okay, I lost my train of thought. Uh, now it's my <laughs> turn. My turn to be old. We're getting old, Matthew. Yep. Uh, we probably got four good podcasting years left in us. and then... <laughs> Alright, who's our replacements? Come sign up now. Um, yeah, so email us at superheroethics at gmail.com, um, and (laughs) give us your cover letter, and we will, uh, we'll see about our replacements. Anyway, um, so you're asking me about, um, you know, problematic, uh, artists or creators, um, so, like, the ones that jump immediately to mind are people like, uh, Michael Jackson, Right, mm-hmm. uh, big controversy around Michael Jackson. I, I whenever this topic comes up uh, and people talk about uh, MJ, I I have this thing where I love really good music, 
um, and it's something that I am very strongly, I become very strongly attached to music. Mm-hmm. And so I really wrestle with this one because I love the music of Michael Jackson. Uh, it, it, there's a sound there. There's, there's a, a quality to it that I feel like is unlike uh, most other artists I've, I've known have produced. And yet, man, there's a, there's some stuff that, that happened during his lifetime that we never really, like, never really got a complete resolution on it. There were always questions and I, it's hard, right? It is, it's hard to wrestle with and like, now none of that money is going to him, obviously, uh, right? Because you can't take it with you. Yeah, I I remember, um, you know what you said that for so many years there were questions. I think there was a documentary that came out not that long ago. I think about six months ago that 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 seemed to pretty distinctly answer a lot of those questions and make it very clear that uh, a good deal of sexual abuse was happening. Um, and and I remember there was discussion at the time of like, so just he's. You know, that, that word used, he's canceled. We're not listening to his stuff anymore. And certainly at that point, I thought to myself, I never want to, you know, intentionally cue him up on a radio, on a Pandora station or do anything that's going to put money in the pockets of whoever owns that legacy, whoever that is. Um, and then I remember it was maybe about six weeks later. It, it, it surprised me how quickly it happened. I was in a, I think I was in a mall. I was in some store that had, a, you know, a, a radio station on of some kind. And a Michael Jackson song came on. And I remember because it's not that I heard the song and immediately thought, oh my God, they're playing Michael Jackson. It's that I was maybe two minutes of bopping along to my favorite song and kind of one of my favorite songs and kind of singing along to myself when I had that moment of like, wait, this is a Michael Jackson song and I'm not supposed to like Michael Jackson anymore. (laughs) And really went around and around with that moment for a long time about, you know, because that's the thing. I I think there are some works where the knowledge of what the artist did make kind of poisons the poisons the well of what the the artist creates. Um why that doesn't happen for Michael Jackson, I'm not sure. Uh, and I don't know if it's maybe because of a, a different association with music or because maybe I'm not giving enough attention to um what he did and that maybe I should. Um I don't know. But I, I, I thought it was A my own reaction I thought was interesting but also, though, it was very interesting that literally six weeks later, after all that discussion, his music was being played in a, you know, in a shopping mall, in a place where you think they're going to go pretty much for the most kind of non-offensive music you could find. Right. I mean, and that may have been because, eh, I, I, I don't know what the timeline was, but Michael Jackson saw a lot of play in the months following his demise, right? right. So, right. And I should um I wanna also bring this back to a more relevant um uh artist for our own um our own sakes, uh in, in terms of the, the nature of this podcast, which is Robert Heinlein. Um mm. Robert Heinlein is considered by many people to be, you know, one of the founding fathers of of modern science fiction, a very prolific author. Um in, in other parts of my life I, I I've talked before about being polyamorous and he uh is thought to have, you know, helped uh, create you know a lot of the models that are used by modern polyamory, although many people would also disagree with that. He's an author who, in a lot of his work, I found problematic content. But then the more I learned about him as a person, it almost created this kind of feedback loop for me. Where, and I don't even know where the what because to, to me, I I can't help but see him as an incredibly misogynistic fascist. Um, and 
he is now one who for me is in that level of you can tell me that there's a short story by him that doesn't deal with any of those issues and is completely separate from that i'm not going to read it because i just i can't in any way separate my knowledge of his own politics and his own uh, uh way he he dealt with people and what i've way i've seen that reflected in some of his works to think that i could ever engage with any of the others yeah I mean, it's it's a situation where you've got when when you're thinking about uh, when, when you're actively thinking about it, right? When you're consuming a piece of media, I think it it tarnishes it to the point where it's no longer palatable. Uh, I know that I've done this with um, oh god, it was just in my head, man. Trace Nielsen. The, the Alzheimer's is hitting me early. It's not Charles <laughs> Nielsen, although that is one I would one I would like to talk about as well. Um, I guess I can talk about that one. So, like, I was uh, for for those not in the know, just real brief. Charles Nielsen does some uh, art for some Magic Gathering cards, some of which I play in one of the more costly formats. Um, and so, there's a there was a situation where I was someone else was getting into that format and wanted some practice and wanted some tutelage and so I was playing with them and I had an occasion where I, I cast one of those cards and I looked at it and I remembered uh, the problems with uh, Therese Nielsen and and her politics. And, can, can you say something uh, about that? Because most of our listeners may not know that. So, um, among other things, uh, so, so this came out, if I recall correctly, based off of uh, her liking some tweets and then she sort of had a response letter that didn't really address um, what uh, I'm trying to find some some more information. Yeah, so like yeah, she, she was liking some liking some tweets that were uh, racist and some tweets that were uh, anti-trans or anti. Um, I, and I could be misremembering all of this. It it, it, it dives pretty deep, right? Because it's pretty clear that she's a conservative and a Trump supporter, and there appears to be a lot that gets packaged into that, right? right. She, definitely, um, a lot of the stuff that she said uh, that that she both liked and then she defended in some of her late, her later writings was what we would, we would call turfy, the the trans trans exclusionary yep. radical feminists, the the label that's I think very accurately used for people who claim to use the name of feminism. To, to do some pretty hero, uh, horrific uh, tra- transphobic and transmisogynistic kind of perspectives. So there's, there's all of this stuff that I fundamentally disagree with now associated with that name. And when I'm thinking about it, uh, as I as I was you know playing the cards, looking at the cards, I suddenly didn't want to... I, I suddenly didn't want to anymore, right? I wanted to, you know, or make it a point to talk with the person I was playing with and be all like... This person's a terrible person. I'm not maybe not in so many words, right? I don't like to be quite that judgmental, but this person holds some really terrible views, right? Right. Um and it's it's interesting, uh, because when when I'm not thinking about it, right, it's not in the forefront of my mind. And sometimes I'll even look at the art and go, Man, the art on this card is very pretty. Uh because credit where it's due and I feel like you can say this you can acknowledge that the art that somebody creates is is high quality or is is good art and still have a problem with the person who made it yeah 
And I, I feel that I can dissociate those things from each other. I can acknowledge that Michael Jackson made some solid bangers in terms of music, right? Um, Michael Jackson did some reprehensible, unforgivable crimes. Yeah. Right? Like, those two things can exist as part of the same person. I mean, and, and you can sort of, you can translate this this feeling, right? And go to probably any movie made by Hollywood 20 years ago and just know that there was something crappy happening specifically with women uh, with with the one of the many producers, uh, Harvey Weinstein, for example, um, right. right? That tarnishes a wide swath of, of media that you consume. It's not at the forefront, but somebody who was involved in the creation of that work was not a good person. Yeah. And how do you how do you deal with that? How do you reconcile that? Well, I think a lot of what this yeah, cuz I I I'm in a I I'm a little bit ethically protected from the Therese Nielsen situation because frankly, I don't have the money to buy any of the cards that her art is on. <laughs> so I've well, I've never had to like less than $10. Well, fair. I just don't play the for most of her cards are older and don't play the formats. Right. Um right. and I think if I had those cards, would I decide I'm not going to play that deck anymore or try to sell them? I might. But I might well not, in the same way that you're talking about. But I know that I, when I heard it, I certainly was one of many people who sent messages to Wizards of the Coast, the people who make magic, saying, you know, please know that under no circumstances should you ever be hiring this person to do more magic work in the future. And Mm -hmm. that at this point, knowing what everyone knows, if Wizards put out new cards with her art on them, that might make me have to seriously reconsider my relationship to the game of Magic the Gathering. I'm pretty sure um, they already have. That's am, okay. That, and, and I'm pretty sure that that is something that the community got upset about. Interesting. Okay. I My understanding had been that since the most recent sort of like big blow up of really attention being brought to this, that she had not been hired to do any more work. But if that's the case, then yeah, that's something I, I will need to look at more and, and, and possibly do some real thinking about. I, um, I'm doing some research while you continue your point. I will get sure. back to you. But my point is, and it's one that I think actually ties into a lot of this, um, is that for me, I think with work that I've already consumed, I want to know this stuff and I want to be aware of it. But I think where most of my attention goes towards is the consumption of new media and the creation of new media. You know, because on some level, like, you know, I can I can um, sort of make my feelings known about the Cosby show, but the show was already made and, and done and over with. Harvey Weinstein has already made every movie that he's going to make. But every time there's talk of Louis C.K. coming back and making a movie, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be one of those people who says, listen, um, unless I hear a very different kind of apology tour than what I've heard from already, I'm going to say from the beginning... I'm never giving my money to a Louis C.K. project, you know, and similarly that I have, um, I have, I, I did wind up watching the um, uh, most recent of the J.K. Rawlings movies uh, because it was being shown for free on an airplane that I was on, um, and uh, you know, but I, my partner and I resolved at the time that we weren't going to watch it, um, in part because of J.K. Rawling, in part because of Johnny Depp, although that's. Uh, that's obviously uh, an issue that has has changed a lot, and that's something we'll get into about the um, you know the accuracy of some of these claims. Um, but it, but I I think that I'm going to 
Do you have that same kind of a divide in your head of however you feel about things that have already been created, like Therese Nielsen art or, or um, Michael Jackson songs or things like that, that you are a lot more vigilant about what are artists that you know are problematic creating in the future? Right. So there is a little bit of a, a sunk cost mentality here for me where I've already, I've already, they've already got my money, right? Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've done it. I can't take it back. Um, and so I can feel, I can, I still think, you know, I can feel bad about, um, about consuming it, right. About, about utilizing it, enjoying it. Um, but there's also a case of like, if I, if it's already there, like in the case of, of these cars, right. They're already there. I already have them. Um, I am aware of the problems with the person mm-hmm. and I'm not interested in doing anything more to physically support them from this point forward. And so I like the, the sense of, I, basically what I'm saying is I, I like that approach where you're like, okay, I know from this point forward, because now I have this information that I'm not going to do, I'm not going to have anything to do with, with supporting this person fiscally, right? right. I'm not going to pay money to to support a work that has this person's contribution associated with it, right? Um, what I already have spent, what I already own, that ship's kind of sailed. Um, and while I can, you know, I could do something, I could I could destroy it, I could, you know, make a statement. Um, I don't think that's going to have the impact that uh that i want and yeah uh modern horizons as early as so very very recent set therese nielsen art on echo of eons that's what i thought so yeah I, the, my my con- memory is that a statement was putting out saying that she had already been contracted for that before the the issues came okay. up um okay. but well, we'll, i might be saying that see. just to justify it to myself and that's i'm, I'm definitely gonna look into this further because we talked about it and um which i will also just say as kind of a side note I think one of the best things we can do as fans is to educate each other about this. Like, like just mm-hmm. happened here because a lot of times, you know, I, 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 I think wherever you stand, I think haranguing people, um, you know, going up and yelling at people who are waiting in line to buy tickets to a movie you think is awful. That's probably never going to be a good strategy, but, mm-hmm. but just talking to friends about like, Hey, you know, that thing you're thinking of seeing, here's some of the stuff I've heard. Um, so thank you, Jacob, for, for kind of educating me more on that. Um, related to the, the other point we were discussing, um, in terms of artists, especially, uh, uh, let me give you one example, which is of went one where I want to learn more before it happens, but I am really wrestling with whether I'm going to spend money on it. Which is that the Black Widow movie may be the first MCU movie that I don't go to see. Um, and I'm re- the reason not to see it for my, to my mind would be Scarlett Johansson because she is a she is an actress who, um. You know, one of the biggest problems in Hollywood these days is uh, roles that were designed for um, non-white characters, especially Asian characters, being given to white actors. Um, and Scarlett Johansson, she played the the main character in Ghost in the Shell, um, which caused a lot of controversy. Um, at first, it seemed like she had kind of was somewhat contrite about that and, and was talking about learning her lesson. Um, but but more recently, there's been a lot of stuff she has read, as you know, she has said, especially in a, in a quite recent interview that makes pretty clear that she doesn't believe there was anything wrong. And I, I think she said something along the lines of, um, you know, any, any actor or actress should get to play any role without thinking about issues of race. Um, and I've now heard talk that, that, that 
statement might have been taken out of context, and I certainly want to know more. You know, I don't think I know enough to know whether or not this is a, a big issue, but it seems like there's a lot of reasons to be concerned that Scarlett Johansson is an actress who really does not have an understanding of the power of her whiteness and the role of her whiteness and her getting the role she has. <clears throat> that might be a reason for me to decide not to watch that movie. On the other hand, sure. it would mean I am not giving money to support what is only the third or fourth you know, major action comic book movie hero, uh, major, you know, action movie about a comic book hero uh, where the woman is the lead character. Um, so that's what I'm probably going to wrestle with an awful lot and probably defer to some of the women I know who really speak about these issues because of the way those things come up and, and kind of get more of a sense of how do they think this is being balanced. Um, but but to me, that, that that's another example of one where the author is making me have to think long and hard about if this is going to be media I want to support. And, and it's a situation where, like, if somebody came up to me and said, you know, you're, if you, if you are considering that, right, well, that's, you know, that, I, I guess I, what I'm saying is that I would, I would consider it to be a legitimate argument if somebody came to me and said, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't watch this, you shouldn't play with those, you shouldn't whatever, because doing that, by doing that, even if you don't fiscally support it, right, even if, if we take money out of the equation, just you consuming it, um, are, you're, you're sort of a passive part of the problem, right? There, there's right. there's an argument that could be made there. I wanted to make sure we, we talked about that. So... I like the I do like the sense of trying to remain informed that you're it seems like that that's where we're going with this um and I really like the idea of well especially the idea of well maybe my opinions aren't the only ones that matter in in coming to this conclusion maybe I should talk with other people who are maybe have a different connection to it or or yeah. might have a different perspective uh love that love that whole idea um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give another example of that, of one where I'm, I'm not yet sure if I'm going to spend my money because of, of feeling like I'm not the one even to know. Um, the Disney remake of Mulan that's coming out. Because, you know, I've heard a number of news stories that praise this movie for being a lot more faithful and accurate to Chinese uh, uh, mythology and Chinese history. I've also heard a number of people, especially um, activists involved in the Hong Kong uh, uh uh, not rebellion, but the Hong Kong, I mean, almost the Hong Kong activism that's happening, you know, saying, look, look, from everything we can see, it seems like this movie is being made to be a propaganda piece for Chinese nationalism. Um, and and now more recently, um, people who are very involved with the movie have made statements very critical of the Hong Kong protesters. Um, that's an issue I think I have a vague, vague understanding of. I don't claim by any means to know all the details there. And I, because of that, I'm probably not going to loudly take a side one way or the other. But when it comes close to that movie coming out, I'm probably going to try and seek out some some opinions from Chinese people and Chinese Americans and, and, and other folks with, with similar perspectives to get a sense of what are they saying about this movie? And is this a movie that, that is worth spending my dollars on? Or is it one that, that is problematic in ways? Because I think that's... And this is something you and I talk about all the time, but I'm, I'm really glad you said that. I, I just think it, it's something that's always so important is... I might not have a visceral understanding of why something is problematic because it might not even strike me as problematic because it's not an issue that occurs to me. Um, I think it's important to know that doesn't mean it's not problematic. And it's important, especially if you're a person with more privilege, which I certainly am, to really pay attention to 
what are things that people who don't have the privileges I do are seeing as problematic? I'm sorry, say that again. Uh, you cut out on my end now. Okay, which which part did I cut out in? Um, it was after you said, I'll edit that out, and then you started up again, and it got really spotty. Okay. Did you hear anything I said about Mulan? I, yeah, everything about Mulan. Okay. And then there was a pause when you went, when did you oh, start so saying something? Basically, you just said that, that to me, it, it, it's a good reason. I, I thanked you for bringing up that point, and then I, I, I reiterated the idea that um, for people, especially people with privilege, it's important to know that um, just because you don't find something problematic on its face, it's still important to listen to who else finds it problematic or toxic and to sometimes take that perspective really into account, even if it's not one that you can personally identify with. Yeah. I mean, it's important to evolve your positions uh, based on new information and, be wi- and to be willing to do so. I think uh, a problem that we often run into is that we get in, we, we formulate an idea, right? We, we turn that idea into a sort of a foundational element, and then it's very difficult to move from that position because we're, we, we, we understand our current position. Uh, moving to a position where maybe we don't have all the information is scary, yeah. right? Now, now we're on shaky ground. We don't know where we stand. And that, can be, that can intimidate people. It can make people feel uncomfortable. Um, but it's very important, especially in, in um, as our culture continues to evolve and adapt and grow and include and be accepting of people of various different walks of life, all of which I think is fantastic. But that means we also need to listen and sometimes seek out uh, people who are the opinions of, of people who aren't, you know, maybe aren't like us, uh, maybe... Yeah might have a different take, maybe are closer to the root of these things than we are. Um, and in so doing, yeah, expose ourselves to the idea that maybe we've been wrong about something for our entire lives or for a decade or more. And it's okay. It's okay to have been wrong about it. You're not yeah. a monster for being ignorant, provided that you're willing to accept new information. I mean, I think one of the hardest things can sometimes be rediscovering things that you loved and finding that they're a lot more problematic than you thought. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I had this experience a couple of years ago because the new Ghostbusters movie was coming out and I was super excited about it. I, I, I went to go see it. And I, I loved it and I, I, I'm glad that I spent money on it. Um, and I'm really glad that I, I well, <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't like remake culture in general. So I kind of wish they had just made a movie in a completely different universe about four women who were ghost hunters. But that that's my thought on remakes is nothing to do with the 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 gender flip of it i i was very happy they did that it also made me nostalgic for the original ghostbusters movie and so i sat down with my partner to watch the original ghostbusters movie and it was incredibly funny just as i had remembered and it was some great sort of you know pseudo scary moments just as i remembered and some great effects in the 1980s just as i remembered and what i remembered as a cute funny bill murray pursues the girl romantic plot now through modern eyes I watched and it's stalkerish to the point of criminal harassment uh, in terms of what he does to pursue this this woman who he's interested in um, and it, it was really a, a, a punch in the gut for me to, to look at this thing that had been one of my absolute childhood favorites um, and to realize that with what I know now about gender dynamics and about um, 
the way that behavior like that is absolutely not, you know, cute and romantic, but is but is not only just uh, horrific, but is outright dangerous. Um, it really made me change the way I looked at that movie. I mean, same. I I ended up watching it uh, because my uh, my uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, now wife, hadn't seen it before, and it was one of the times she was visiting me when I lived in New York, and. I was like, man, I really love this movie. It's one of the like one of the defining movies of my childhood because super into it. And when we were watching it. I'm sitting there during those moments, going, "Yeah, so this is a movie of its era, clearly." Yeah. But uh, thankfully, like we uh, in that in that situation, um, we sort of both were accepting it as a movie of its time, understanding that if that was made today, it'd be, you know. It's not saying it was acceptable then, but saying that uh, it, it, I understand how it got greenlit, right? And right. at the time, it seemed to play as sort of a cute, like I remember it the same way you remember it, uh, prior to have seeing it, uh, seeing it later on, right? As a oh, this is cute and adorable, and no, it's uh, not cute and adorable. <laughs> yeah, and and just to give the I like. To me, Ghostbusters is actually a great example of the way in which these things are are toxic. Um, I went through high school thinking that if I liked a girl, the best way to win her over was to just overwhelm her with my affection and my, my interest. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying Bill Murray and Ghostbusters was the sole reason that I learned that, but it certainly was a part of it. Um, I, I think also that you, you raise a really interesting point there of, of how do we look at things in terms of them being from a problematic time? Because... Um, I, I think that's a really interesting point because, you know, important to note is if you lined Ghostbusters up next to any 20 other movies with a romantic plot from that same year, I don't think it stands out as being particularly sexist compared to any of the rest of them. I think it is example of where most of the movies were at that time. Um, but I think I'm a little less I'm a little less willing to kind of write it off as, well, that was the time. Um, and, and I'm wondering, kind of, if you go a little bit deeper on sort of what does that mean to you in terms of how you relate to it? So, I guess for me, um, if I can put in historical context and and remember that the culture at the time wasn't seeing these things as problems, so nobody was challenging them in like it wasn't getting challenged in the writers' room, it wasn't getting challenged by the director, it wasn't getting challenged by the actors. If nobody says anything after somebody commits something to paper, right? And, or, worse yet, people are like, yeah, this is a great idea, and they run with it. There's never that opportunity to question. Uh, again, this plays back to the theme. If you never question it, if you never try to seek alternate ideas to your initial assumption, you're, you don't get made aware of it. And right. so, in that time period, everyone was sort of accepting of it. It doesn't mean it was okay, but it means that nobody like. I find it believable that it it was never challenged to the point where somebody had to defend it as as not what we we see it as now. Does that make sense? Where it, it does, yeah. And I I think that's the thing is I think like I, it's not that I and I, I guess this is kind of it's almost the reverse of what we're talking about in terms of the the actors and the like. I don't. I have absolutely no problem going to see a Bill Mo- Bill Murray movie today. I don't have any feeling of, 
oh my god, Bill Murray was a sexist pig when he made that movie. I think he was, you know, definitely exhibiting some toxic masculinity and misogyny, just like pretty much every actor of of his era. And I don't, it doesn't make me feel like I can't, I can't watch a Bill Murray movie today. But I do think that I probably would be, you know, if I met someone else who hadn't watched the original, I think I'd be a lot less eager to show it to them. Um, And if I did, I might do it, like, if they asked me about it, I might say, like, it is a very funny movie that also has some very misogynistic elements, and I want to make sure you're kind of aware of those, and and if you want to maybe decide not to watch this movie, that's totally okay. Um, Does that kind of a distinction make sense to you, and is that that kind of similar to line to you, or is that that different from where you would come down? No, I think that's fair. Um, I think there have been occasions where I've want I've you know sat down to enjoy something with somebody and I felt the need to start with a disclaimer right yeah. not always a well this is problematic because of these things uh sometimes it's just a uh this has horror elements and I know it's not your favorite thing but... you and I have both introduced many people to Babylon 5 and doing that mm-hmm. comes with a speech of yes there are some awful special effects and some really bad acting in season 1 I know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It's well, not just season one, but yeah. um, and <laughs> there's also some really good acting, is the thing. But yeah, yeah. The, so I, I guess I'm no stranger to presenting things with caveats, and I think it's it's reasonable, and it's also like a good practice to get into, because then you're being cognizant of, look, I enjoy this anyway, and there's issues, right? Yeah. And, and at least acknowledging it means that you're not ignoring it, right? You're not allowing yourself to push it to the back of your mind and go, well, it's not a problem because it's fun and I enjoy it anyway. You're saying it is a problem, but I can't, like, it's not going to get re, well, okay, you can't even say it's not going to get remade, but it's, um, that thing is sort of encapsulated in time, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, some, you, you could take this to, uh, absurd is is a loaded word but you could take this to a degree that doesn't translate right uh because you could go back and look at some old movies like 12 angry men 12 angry men has no women in it whatsoever right that's part of that's the conceit of the story is in the title but you know that that means that you know if i'm sitting down to watch that with people i'm going to say look it might not be obvious from the title there's no women in this movie uh, this yeah. is about a jury of dudes, and I and it's it, to me. I think it is one of my favorite movies about the criminal justice system. It is also mm-hmm. incredibly racist and incredibly classist, and some of that oh, racism and classism comes out, and some of it is part of the movie itself. Um, but I still think it's a great movie. Um, part of what you're also getting at that I, I think maybe ties into something you said at the beginning um, when you started talking about cancel culture. And again, I don't, I don't want to go too far into debate about that term because I think it it can be kind of a straw man. But I do certainly agree with you that there's a very kind of black and white thinking of, um, you know, this is bad, so it is utterly and forever verboten. And to me, one of the things that always bothered me about that is once you start saying anything that is bad is completely canceled, is completely, we have nothing more to do with it whatsoever. Part of what you're also saying is anything that is not over that line is perfect and good and fine. And... I think one of my problems is I think to find a movie that is utterly devoid of any kind of problematic material, racism, sexism, ableism, heterosexism, homophobia, transphobia, any of that, uh, classism, you know, 
I think we could maybe, you know, call the libraries of all of human media and find maybe a dozen titles, if that. Like, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, to me, one of the reasons why I like this conversation is because I think, while I think it's fair to say there's some things that go over the line and we just can't have anything to do with them whatsoever, I'm always very suspicious of the more quick you are to pull that trigger, the more it seems th- that you're saying that anything that, that ha- hasn't had that trigger pulled is completely fine. And I think that's just as broken a kind of, of way of seeing things. There's a reason why I, I like with that term specifically, because I, I do agree with you that it is a it is mostly a straw man argument, but it's because it's very easy to take that idea that to, to deconstruct that idea as clearly absurd that there's only perfectly good and completely bad and there's nothing in between there's no there's no room for compromise right it's is easier to argue against a an absolutist position because then you have a very clear delineation of what what is being argued right right um and so I think that's what, you know where the term comes from, why people start talking about it, because what they're frustrated with is the perceived notion that you know as soon as there's any problem, no matter what degree, that that like that person doesn't get it. There's no such thing as a second chance. There's no such thing as letting someone explain themselves. There's no such thing as you know waiting for more information to come out. We immediately react strongly, and that comes with this preconception that everything else that we consume and enjoy is wholesome and perfect and good and inviolate, in right? Yeah. And that's just, that can't be true, not least of which because sometimes problematic elements are put into our media intentionally so that we see them, so that we get that visceral reaction, so that we don't forget they're there, or that we raise awareness of them. See, see, this is why you and I are good co-hosts, because I was just thinking it's time to segue to, the, to that topic. So do, do you want to say more about this particular topic of, like, how we find that line between what's problematic and what's intentionally raising difficult issues? Man, like, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to talk about here, because it, it's tough. Because sometimes, and again, it, it sort of ties back to a point I was trying to make earlier, where um Sometimes it seems obvious to me that the people writing the piece, what the people writing the piece are intending to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. What the creators are intending. Sometimes, if I can, if it seems to me like it is being painted in the fiction with purpose to to be instructive or to be demonstrative, I'm okay with it because it's now it's representative, right? Now it is showing us a problem that exists in our world. If there's a movie that's got um, police violence against minorities, right? Against black people, right? And it's clearly painted there by by the creators as a, this is an issue with how our police are dealing with the subset of our population, right? right. It's, still, it's still portraying police violence against black people, but... I no longer have a problem with it because it's doing it to to highlight a very real problem in our culture today, in in our world today. Right. No, I, I, still, I, I think am, that... I'm still uncomfortable with the scenes. Don't get me wrong; that's yeah. going to be hard to watch. But it's hard to watch because it shouldn't be happening in the first place, right? So, 
Yeah, and I, and I think there's a very interesting and complicated issue there about where where is that line where um, portraying something that's problematic as a way of fostering debate and discussion over it becomes just a way of replicating the culture that is problematic. And mm. to me, one part of this is the sensational the sensationalism that can often happen. Um, you know, and I think it, here again, it becomes very important to listen to the communities that the issues are about because I agree with you right now I think media that really dives into racist police and police brutality and things like that are needed as ways of getting people to you know stimulate the conversations and drive the issues and and get more people aware of just how much a problem this is but I also know that it's in danger of becoming just so much of a trope that that it, it becomes it does a lot more damage than it than it than it than than it does good and just as one example, um, I think the issue of sexual assault in in media. Um, clearly, we are still miles away from really having gotten to a better place in our culture about sexual assault and sexual violence and all the things around that. Um, but I know a number of women activists have, have really made the point, and a lot of um, TV studios and, and things like that have, have listened to it, of basically saying, look – one more rape on television doesn't help anybody. It just sensationalizes it. It just re-traumatizes victims and survivors. We, we, that needs to stop. That needs to start happening off screen. Um, and I, I think that that's a really interesting issue. And I think that that's, to me, anytime media goes pretty deep on that kind of stuff, I don't think by any means it's always wrong. I think, but it's important to know what are issues that, that maybe we're, we're pretty much done with. And, and what are ones where, you know, there really has to be some very careful thought to it. Um, and again, where I think, and I imagine you'd feel the same, I'm going to want to defer to others, you know? And if I hear, you know, people of color saying, you know, listen, we just, we don't need to see another black, per- another black person getting shot by a cop on television. That's going to matter to me. Um, yeah. If we're hearing people say like, oh, this great portrayal really helped, you know, whereas in Luke Cage, though, I know there was a lot of very positive attention brought to the fact of what Luke Cage had to say about uh, police violence towards black people. Right. And that particular portrayal, right, was, was focusing on the the pushback against it, uh and not like it wasn't it wasn't about showing us the the scenes of the brutality happening over and over again, right? right? Um but about the reaction of the community and and ways to to engage with that and why certain things certain ways to that that they might behave that you or i as white people for lack of a better way of putting it could get away with uh they can't and that kind of sucks too right there's that that very uh damaging stereotype of the quote angry black man i was watching something recently um where uh he was talking about um medical it was uh, on I think it was also last week tonight uh, with John Oliver. He did, did a bit about um, people in our country who, uh, so women and people of color, getting inferior health care by being by by not being straight white men, right? Right. Because of how doctors engage with them, their concerns um, aren't taken as seriously. They're more exactly. likely to be written off or you know not and believed. It was, it was a, a gentleman of color whose wife was in pain after childbirth um, who ended up dying because the doctors wouldn't listen and he didn't feel like he could raise a fuss without playing into that stereotype and making it worse. 
right. and that's miserable right but he, yeah. so so here's a situation where again if that's portrayed in media to shed light on this you know i would be interested in in how um how people of color responded to that and whether or not they felt that that was helpful um absolutely uh and but but for me right now absent any other information i'm happy with the message getting out well, it's a scenario where, and I think we're going to try and wrap up pretty soon because it's getting late and we're both pretty hungry. Um, but it's an issue where I think it becomes so important to know who is involved in the creative process. You know, yep. um, um, I know that I'm, I'm seeing more and more um, when authors are wrestling with those kind of issues, they're often making a point to say, listen, we are going to have conversations with people who have had this particular kind of trauma and really ask them, like, is this a portrayal that, that, that works? Is this a portrayal that, that seems like a fair representation or does it feel to you like we're sensationalizing your story? And I think that's, that's I think another thing that people can really pay attention to when, when judging what media they want to consume is what is the trauma that's going to be portrayed and, and how much have people who portrayed that trauma been involved? And I'll say um, just one very quick aside, there's a, a magic card that is um, uh, been spoiled as part of the one of the new sets that's coming out um, that, that looks like a great magic card and is clearly attempting to make a positive statement about people with disabilities, um, but was done in a fairly ham-fisted and careless and kind of offensive way. And I'm, I'm fairly certain it's because no one with disabilities was consulted in terms of making that card. Um, so it's just an example of where it can go wrong. Um, I, I, there's 8 million other issues we, we could um, copy, but I want to turn the spotlight on you and I ourselves, which is to say... What do you think is our role in this? And and what I mean by that is, like, for example, we talked about Ready Player One. And when you and I made the decision, we didn't just say we would give our, you know, 12 bucks. Actually, in fairness, Jacob bought the ticket. So um, I guess I'm free of moral responsibility. But actually, I'm thanking him for, for taking that moral responsibility away from me. Um, but we weren't just buying the tickets ourselves. We weren't just, you know, putting an extra half a penny in Ernst Klein's pocket. We were also deciding to then go back and record a podcast about that movie. And um, I would like to say that one day it will be hundreds of thousands of people listen to that episode. It's, it's actually just a couple hundred. But still, a couple hundred people listened to that episode, and maybe some of them were – you know, if we had hated that movie, we still would have recorded about it. Right. And that many more people might have said, wow, it's really that bad. I want to get a sense for myself. I'm going to pay money and go see it. Or – Listen to all the bad things they said about the book. I want to pay money and read this book and 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 see if it's as bad as they're talking about. Um, is this an issue you think at all about, uh, or is this just my own navel gazing? I mean, I do, but uh, here I have a very firm stance, um, and which is to say that um, I feel like the very worst thing that we can do uh, with respect to problematic media is be silent about it, mm. right? That it serves nobody. So we, we have a commitment that we've, we've sort of made to each other, I guess, or rather you wrote me into it. And now I'm paying for movie tickets sometimes, I guess it that was just <laughs> that once. Um, I, I'm going to buy the next one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause that's going to happen now that you're in Minnesota. Um, <laughs> but, um, but we, we have made this commitment. We're going to talk about something, you know, every other week or what have you. And to if we were to watch something that had an issue and not talk about it, not bring it up, 
I think that does more of a disservice than than what little attention we draw to it in our critique um, mm. and, and what amount of, of fiscal contribution others choose to make because I don't I don't own the fiscal decisions of other people, right? Right. What they choose to do with their money, whether they decide they want to read this book that I said was abysmal or watch this show that I think is horrid, that, that can't be... That, that can't be my responsibility unless I said, this is amazing and you should go watch it, right? Mm. If I'm sitting here saying, this is a huge problem and we shouldn't be supporting it, and then somebody chooses to use my statement or listen to that statement and then go and support it anyway, I did I did everything I could to say not to do that, right? Mm. Um, and me being silent wouldn't necessarily have changed their decision. Maybe it caused it to happen, but I think that it is better that the message be out there, better that it exists, that, that we made a statement, than to just be silent and hope that nobody else engages with it. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. I think I'm still going to do some navel-gazing about this because I think it's important to kind of think about what is our our role in this. And, and partially, it's, there was some... Um, reviewer who I forget what it was but they're talking about some truly awful offensive piece of media and how you know that they even debated whether or not they should write a review of it um and I think you're probably I think I'm probably come down on on where you are but I think it's an interesting an interesting thing to think about um and one that I wonder how many other um people who make content like what you and I do where we are commenting on uh what other people are doing um are thinking about this um do you have any kind of – I have one last thought I know I want to throw in. Do you have any kind of last thoughts or, or questions you want to pose or, or, or thoughts you want I mean, to make? There's there's a bunch more content in our notes that I wish we would have had time to get into, um, but I really need to eat. I have a very narrow window in which I can eat. I need to do that, so I'm, I'm all for it. just wrapping up. But there's one last point that I want to make, and this is more just kind of – because it's something I bookmarked earlier, which is that I think it's very important that we – the point I'm about to make could easily be misconstrued as they blame the victims or not believe victims, and I don't want it to be that in the slightest. I am always going to default to believing accusers and believing people who come forward. But I also think is the point that you made is that it's important to say that you can start blaming the accuser, you can start listening to the accuser and believing the accuser, but also be open to hearing more information that comes out later. Um, and, and the two examples that I, I think come to mind immediately are Johnny Depp and, and George Takai. Um, in both cases, very serious allegations were raised against both of them. Um, as I mentioned, I actually made some economic decisions about um, uh, Harry Potter material because of uh, Johnny Depp being in that movie. Um, more recently, there's been a lot more evidence brought forward that um, perhaps Depp was not as much the one at fault in that situation or that there was equal fault. I, I, don't, I don't think that situation has been fully resolved by any means, and it's not that I think that Depp is now an utter hero. But I feel like that situation has been made a lot more complicated than the way it was originally portrayed. And similarly with George Takai, you know, some very awful allegations were brought against him. And I, I think my understanding is, and I think actually you showed this to me, and that was part of what got us thinking we wanted to have this discussion in the first place now, is that most of those accusations have now actually been completely rebunked and, and um, recanted by the person who made them. Um, I don't think I regret the decisions I made earlier about not spending money on Johnny Depp properties uh, at the time. Um, but I think that it, it's important for, you know, there are people who I know 
who, have, who will still continue to say, I will never touch anything Johnny Depp. And if I start to mention the, 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 the recent uh, uh, change in the, in the percept of that story, they will just not want to hear it. Um, and that, I think, is where it goes too far. Um, and I know you brought that Takai thing to my mind. Is that kind of are you in a kind of a similar place? Yeah, as I said earlier, I I want to remain receptive to new information when when things come around because it turns out life's complicated, and oftentimes it's you're you're in a position where it is. Sometimes people are in a position where it's it's so important that we listen to victims and believe these people that. That's that's what takes the forefront, and I don't think that's incorrect, right? We we have to be in a position where we start from a presumption that this person has no good reason to to misrepresent and is coming forward, and it's hard for them too to come forward with with something like this. Right. That doesn't mean we can't, you know, be on the lookout for new information to to change our perspective, but. Like, it's harder to do when it's not in the forefront of your media feed or whatever, right? It took me a while to find it, and it was from months ago, and I had missed it. And George yeah. Takei is somebody who I uh, really enjoyed prior to that point and was, was deeply saddened when that news originally came around. Um, and then I just sort of filed it away in my head and stopped looking. Uh, right. And I feel like I own a little bit of that. And I, and I think that, that that's a really good point, because I think that it... it... It also, I, I think there's some who will look at those two stories and say, see, we shouldn't be so quick to believe accusers. We should never, you know, cancel anybody until we know the full story. And I think it's very important to say that's not what we're saying in the slightest. I think, as I said, you know, I'm still, you know, I have no problem with the decisions I made originally about, about Johnny Depp. And then more, more was learned. And, and based on that, my opinion has shifted. Um, and, and I think that that's something that we all have to be kind of open to is that there are ways to, believe accusers and to take accuser stories seriously and to not sort of wait for the the burden of proof that that so many um you know that 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 is so much a part of the 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 anti me too culture but to still be able to then keep our ears open for when new new information comes out um well cool the, uh, Jacob thank you again for pushing us to to get back into this topic i think it's such an important one and one i'm so glad we talked about um and one that I, I imagine every fan, especially, every, you know, there are some fans who want nothing to do with these conversations. They just want media to be pure escapism. I don't think those people are our listeners. I have to imagine if you're our listeners, you're already thinking about these things. You're interested in ethical issues. You're interested in fandom. And you pay attention to what happens when things are problematic. And you're probably making these decisions yourself. So I'd love to hear from you. How do you draw those lines? How do you... What are the things that you've decided you just need to cancel from your own life or the things that you've decided, you know, everyone else is, has real problems with them, but you're, you're going to stay a diehard fan or, or you have a different perspective. Um, what are the ways you approach questions of how you spend money on things, stuff like that? We would love to hear from you. As always, you can find us on um, email or Twitter or Facebook, all at Superhero Ethics. On Facebook, we have both a page and a group. Uh, you have to join the group, unfortunately, but once you do, that's a great place to, to get into deep discussions about this kind of stuff. Throw us comments at any of those places. We'd love to hear it. Both Jacob and I have our own Twitter uh, accounts, and you can find uh, the the names for both of those online on our uh, on the show notes for this episode. Um, I am Caped Ethicist, and he is Bots R, the letter R, Bots R People 2. Um, so those are other great ways to contact us. 
Um, if you want to support the show, uh, you can become a Patreon uh, uh, or buy any of our merchandise. All of that stuff is also in the show notes, and we'd love to have your support. So on behalf of myself, on behalf of Jacob, who is now already eating his dinner because he is way delayed, uh, thank you guys all so much for being a part of this. Have a good day. Because well, hello, it's one that I continue to have Jacob. with people, and it's one where I find I myself changing thing day by day how I think I want to approach it. Um, there's you know, because there's, fine, the, there's the cancel culture Jacob, approach, the cancel culture being the, I guess, Jacob. do you want to call it a buzzword? And it looks like there's a connection problem, and the network is down entirely. <laughs> so maybe you're coming back soon, but I can't hear... You, you Jacob, I don't me. know if you have gone to some other I'm zone. Definitely talking so right now. So I don't remember the rest of that song, but it's from Hello Dolly, and Hello Dolly is a great music. Yeah, I just sent you a message. I'm definitely talking. All right, Matthew has disconnected. This is going to be very fun to edit. Thankfully, this is Matthew's job. Uh, I am in charge of sound quality, uh, which is why I'm letting myself get away with this mouth nonsense. Uh, he's in charge of the, uh, the actual cutting. Uh, I heard a very delightful song that he sang me. What is a delightful song? Can you hear me now? Well, now that we have our outtake all lined up already. Oh, yeah. I definitely <laughs> recorded some choice material, and that, that song was delightful. Uh, <laughs> there we go. It's like, I'm in the middle of my spiel, and all of a sudden you're interrupting me with some random nonsense song, and I'm like... He's not usually this rude. And then I realized what the problem is. I'm like, he can't hear me? That's weird. I can hear him.